Welcome back to the Fit CFO Show. I'm your host, Amanda Hanquist, and together with my husband, Sean, we created this podcast as a way to help you reach your business's financial goals. We will break down common financial myths and mistakes in business and share with you the tools and knowledge to take your business to the next level. Our hope is that you'll become financially equipped for success in your business and in turn help our mission to make the world a healthier place. If you get valuable information out of this podcast, we just ask that you please share it with your audience and leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and help health and fitness businesses succeed. Today on the show, Sean and I have the opportunity to talk with Stuart Brower of WTF Gym Talk. Stu is a pure definition of an entrepreneur and a student of his craft. On today's episode, we not only get some laughs, but we get to hear from Stu how he's been able to learn from industry pioneers, network with the best, and put out massive amounts of valuable content each and every month. You're going to want to listen to this one until the very end. This is the Fit CFO Show. Well, thanks so much for being on today. Steve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man, you, so I like rabbit holes down some of your stuff. Okay. Um, I've been doing a ton of cardio. I don't know if Sean told you, but I'm competing in a couple of weeks here. So oh, I, I've seen, I, I've seen some uh, videos and photos of Sean looking yeah. fucking phenomenal, buddy. <laughs> yeah, he did. he did amazing. He did amazing. So I'm passing off the torch to Amanda and now she's freaking deep into prep now. So yeah. I love it. I love it. Where, yeah. where do you guys work out of? What's the name of the gym? Uh, Feel Fit? Yeah, it's called Feel Fit. Fit. It's just a local okay. gym, not a franchise or anything, but local gym. I'm uh, I'm connecting with you guys familiar with Arsenal Strength, their their equipment, their machines. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I think they are the hammer strength of my dad's generation. Like that's for our gen. Like they are doing some amazing things, and I love their shit. So I'm trying to I'm booking through some contacts to go down to their facility, do a podcast there, see the oh, whole great. thing. But um, I've been like pushing all the the local gym I go to to like <laughs> to buy more Arsenal Strength equipment. I'm like, yeah. it's just it's the best that I've used that's ever. Yeah, we're uh, 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 pre-core. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's really a lot of good machines. And, it is, yeah. But, you know, the, to get all the leg variations, it's kind of tough. Like, you have to have a lot of different pieces of equipment. Yeah. Yeah. I just think those Arsenal strength guys are thinking about machines. Just, I mean, you can hammer strength and pre-core have kind of owned the space for forever. And it really hasn't changed much. But like some of their some of the designs and like the, the the planes of movement you could have on some of the stuff that you haven't seen prior, some of the pendulum squat stuff is just it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that because we had some programming that called for pendulum squats. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it'd be so cool. We don't we don't have one <laughs> around here. We're from a small town. A yeah, town. I bought a belt have- squat, uh, the squat max MD, a guy named Brian Hennessy invented it. And oh my God. I mean, especially for me, I got a little bit of lower back things, but like the traction, because yeah. it just pulled the hit, it just pulls straight down on the hips. It feels yeah. incredible. I can squat, I've been able to squat three days a week since probably oh, wow. college and now i can squat a heavy light high volume low volume whatever um, three days a week and i feel incredible after using that yeah we um actually we've got one in we got that belt squat in and i'm using that at least yeah. once a week. i freaking yeah. love it yeah i've been yeah. using a lot on my hammies getting real like wide yeah. in my stance and it just kicks ass that's what i love is i can just change things up i can go a little bit more anterior or posterior i go wide and i don't have to worry about this whole thing right like right. yeah it's yeah it's really cool yeah, I tend to stay away from squats a lot. Well, I'm a bikini competitor. So yeah, 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 I get it. Or related, we we don't do a lot of. So yeah. Well, cool. was... well, you have you have almost 700 episodes of your own. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah, yeah, we'll be. It's it's coming up there. Yeah. 
That's very cool. Um, so you built, you know, I feel like you've really built a loyal audience and an amazing amount of trust. You also put out a tremendous amount of content. I kind of wanted to sort of kind of rabbit hole down that direction. Sure. How do you, do you have it's like some kind of a method? Did you at first have some kind of a method to how you put content out? Because you just put out a tremendous amount of content. Like every time I turn you're there's something new going on. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you do all that? Yeah, we can, we can jam on all that stuff. hundred percent. Yeah. I've got kind of the, when I was a one man show, uh, and kind of the grind of doing all that until mm-hmm. uh, kind of the the machine that we've we've created now, which um, yeah. you know essentially allows it's on average about sixty to seventy five new pieces per month, and pieces yeah. being wow. vid- video plus audio, like a po- podcast episodes plus video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all over the place because I heard one episode talked about YouTube, so then I went on to YouTube, and there's a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube. I mean, it's just it's all over the place. Yeah. And YouTube erased amazing. my entire account two years ago. I had really? over I had over 800 videos on YouTube. We oh, I don't wow. know several, maybe like 4,000 subs or something. Nothing crazy. Gone. It was during the the political uh, during the election period, and they were slapping accounts. If you if you triggered the machine, um, and I did, I was I mean I literally was posting two times a day every single day at the wrong time, some F-bombs, or I don't know what triggered the robot, but literally no warning, slapped the account, took it completely off, got an email, one button you can hit to appeal, but it doesn't go to a human, goes to right, whatever. Right. And I work with some big brands that spend a lot of money on YouTube ads, and I call them personal favors. Please call somebody over there and get this thing back. And three months later, it still never came back. Now, luckily, I had all that saved on a hard drive. Yeah, It took, it took one of my editors five months to even get it all. And I don't even think we have all the footage, uh, all the videos uploaded still, like some of the old, old ones. I was like, that's ah, screw it. We'll leave that off. But wow. scary, but that's why you got to diversify. Yeah. One platform takes of, a shit on you. You're kind of like, Oh my God, what, what happened? I've heard of accounts getting hacked into, yeah. but I've not heard of them just like eliminating it. Yeah. That's, it's that's insane. That's insane. So when you first started, like you said, I listened to one of your episodes where you talked about how, you just were almost like a yes man. And you kind of like, you brought all your stuff everywhere. You figured out how to make it look like you were multiple people, but yeah, just yeah. yourself yeah. setting up cameras at different angles and different, different yeah. spots, different areas. How, how has it evolved from that to where you're at now? And like, how did you make that transition? So I, I had a thing. Um, I always kind of have a, a I have, a, I, the way I set goals for the year, I had a macro level goal and that was to get more speaking engagements. I'd had a few and I was like, I really like that. I like having the mic and I like working a room. It's my, one of my favorite things to do, but I didn't have a lot of experience doing it. So I went ahead and I took a three camera setup and a mic stand and a mic. And I went to just random places in Charlotte, North Carolina. I went behind buildings up into parks on the roof of my building inside my gym. And I set it up to where if you were watching it, you'd be like, oh man, he's speaking to probably thousands of people. Nobody. Uh, I'm talking maybe like a homeless dude in that alley down the street, (laughs) but nobody. But I just delivered monologues. I didn't prepare anything. I just had a topic in my head. And one of the, one of the things I think for anyone who wants to make content, you either have a, you have lucky enough to have a great co-host that you can bounce things off of. I do think it's very, I think it's important to develop a strong monologue if you want Mm -hmm. to be a content creator. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've always been, uh, I've done really well. Um, And so I just went there monologue 45 minutes to an hour and I put together a playlist. It's still on YouTube. It's called talking to myself. 
And I would send that to people. Like when I would see like someone's having a conference, I'm like, I didn't get invited. Fuck it. Sending it to them. And I would ship them that playlist and be like, Hey, I don't know what you got on for next year's docket. I'd love to come speak. Here's some of my work. And that's how I started picking up some more speaking engagement. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, you know, I've always been, um, if all the doors are shut, I'm going to kick one in. I like, you can call the, like, I'm always forgiveness over permission, like always yeah. been that way. Um, that. it's sometimes it's hurt me really bad. And other times it's worked out really well, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's where that started. But to, to go to your first thing, like creating content beginning in 2015, I was looking around the room and there was, you know, in this micro gym CrossFit scene, there was a handful of guys making some business content and they had done really well in this CrossFit micro gym space. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm like, man, I, I truly think I know more. I mean, I had gone to, I've been in Globo Gym, you know, in Nashville, Tennessee and Charlotte for you know about two years. I learned a ton business-wise. And a lot of these guys maybe had never even gone that route. They just had figured it out. They had done a great job and not to take anything away from them. But I was like, I honestly feel like if I got in a debate with anybody, I would eat their lunch. And yeah. I, yeah. I did debate in high school. I love arguing my point. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> I literally just argue with my girlfriend just for practice, like just to, just to practice it. But um. It, uh, so I started putting out content and, um, I just had an iPhone and not even a tripod, just leaned up against, a um, a kettlebell lighting was horrible. I looked like it was in a cave, but I just did that consistently over and over and over again. Kelly Starrett, it was one of my real big inspirations back then. Kelly Starrett's a, a guy who started the mobility wad project, which was just one YouTube video a day, every day for 365 days in which he showed you how to mobilize. He's now parlayed then to a $10 million business. And it all was just on the back of creating consistent content, not great content, not quality content, not Martin Scorsese content, just consistent content. So that's kind of what I adopted. I just started rolling out videos, videos, videos. I um, Box Pro Magazine. There was a a magazine out there that was called Box Pro, and they essentially were the the entrepreneur magazine for CrossFit gyms. Mm -hmm. And I went ahead and contacted them. I said, I'll write for you for free. All I want to do is write. If you go Box Pro Magazine, Stuart Brower, you'll find all the articles are still up there on their on their website because it gave me some authority. Because otherwise, I knew I knew stuff, but nobody knew who I was. I hadn't done it. Right. I hadn't I hadn't done anything earth shaking in the industry right. yet. So I um, started writing for them. That allowed me to start attending some conferences and meet some people and get a little bit more, you know, uh, authority, if you will. And then I remember the I started doing free calls. Like gym owners would see my content, they would comment, "Hey, man, that's really interesting." Like, I got more questions on. I'm like, cool. Hop on a call. This was, I was doing Skype back then. This is 2015. I'm like, hop on this Skype call. I'm going to record it though. I'll talk to you and answer your shit for free, but I'm going to record it. And I'll probably yeah. use it for later content to help other people. They were, no one ever had a problem. So I did that for like a couple of calls. And then I remember the first time I ever charged money, I charged a hundred dollars for a one hour call. And I was like, oh my God, this is insane. No one's going to do it. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and to where the cost is today, it was just like, it was just crazy. But I started doing that and just uploading those videos. And this is before like, Uploading Zoom videos side by side got really big during COVID, but that's honestly like one of the things that worked for me in 2015 and 2016 so well. Yeah. Um, and just started making that. I got really big. You know, I was a big Casey Neistat fan. He was a, a YouTube vlogger, probably one of the the original best vloggers on YouTube to create, you know, first person. He held the camera. He didn't have a camera guy. Storytelling. It, it, nobody did it better than him. Obviously, the influences of guys like Gary Vee and like, you know, just getting content out there was really influential. And um, I did really well. I was able in 2015, walk away from the gym as a paycheck. So I'm talking to my, the guys that are doing my CPA work and, and my, my finance stuff at the time for the gym. 
And it was one of these things where it's like, man, I'm ne- you're never going to go all the way in your this WTF gym talk thing unless mm-hmm. you cut off the money that you're getting from the gym. Because yeah. I didn't have a reason to go all in on it. So I had sure. to burn the boats. So yeah, I made a decision. I, uh, I cut myself off on receiving cash from my gym. And I'm like, I'm going to go all in on this WT, this media handle that just so happens to do consulting. Yeah. And then, and, and I did. And that was, that was, uh, that was, yeah, in the 2015 ish, I went all in on it. And it's been my full time thing ever since. I, I always had, you know, GMs and assistant GMs at the gym. So I, I didn't have to do the day to day stuff. Um, and it's just kind of evolved into what it is today. That's amazing. So you essentially forced your own backup against the wall. So yeah. You- I, you know, and I think that's important too. It's like, uh, I was super comfortable at that point. I'd worked really hard mm-hmm. to get my gym started in 2010 and 11 and 12. And, um, and we did really well. And I just, you know, I, I did, I felt like I had for all the things I was doing well inside the gym and helping people's lives and giving coaches careers, stuff like that. I did feel like I had way more information to give to other business owners because this small business micro gym boutique thing was so new. I mean, even Orange Theory yeah. was just starting to show up then. So I was like, yeah, let me make some videos. I like this idea. I like being on camera. I like uh, I like going in and being the center of attention. And I have an ego when it comes to that stuff. And I want to talk and I want to do all this stuff. So I'm just going to lean into that. And, yeah. um, and, and, but, and see if I can turn to a job, never a business. What I do at WTF is not a business. And I'm very picky about that. It is a job. I get hit by a car today. All the money stops for WTF. It is not a business, but I love it. It's a job. I read a book by a guy named Paul Jarvis called company of one. The idea of not necessarily just being a one, like having you, you're the only person in your company, but you're running it as lean as possible so that it is essentially for your purposes. The day you stop doing it. It's kind of done, but it's a lifestyle gig. You make great revenue. You have no overhead. All the stress is gone. You don't have rent. You don't have a ton of employees. You just like, it's kind of, you can bob and weave. And I've really enjoyed this company of one mindset I've been running with, um, with WTF from a, a consulting standpoint for the, you know, the better part of the, since 2015. Yeah, that's amazing. How, so one thing I consistently hear from you is like all these different name drops. So you talk about a lot about different people in the space. How did you come up with these people? I mean, you were talking like 2014, 2015 yeah. before really you can go to Instagram and look up anybody and there's their picture and there's what they stand for. How are yeah. you networking, connecting, meeting, figuring all this out? So I, I, I've always been a, I've always been a student of the fitness industry. Like I, I still consider myself a student of strength and conditioning, right? Like I'm still looking, I'd still look to learn things. Like I still like to pick up, you know, super training by Mel Sif, you know, every three years and go through that and, and re, you know, rethink some yeah. things or I still consume Ian King, uh, one of my favorite strength coaches of Australia just published a brand new set of work on different tempo and time under tension protocols. And I've been nerding out on that. So I'm still a student. Cause I, at heart, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, but I've always been a, I've become a student of the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I never went to curves, but I was fascinated by the curves story. And I like knowing yeah. the history of how Jack Lane and what he did influenced how curves popped up. And those not familiar curves curves was essentially one of the first boutiques ever uh, in the, in this space. It was a bunch of seated selectorized pin selector equipment 
probably about 10 units, 10 pieces of equipment from upper to lower body and, and abs. And women would sit in each yeah, one of them. Like and they're the in purple. a purple. Yeah. yeah. And, and they were in a circle. And it was kind of like musical uh-huh. chairs, like a, a song yeah. or two would play or X amount of reps and all the girls would get up and they'd rotate over to the next one. <laughs> and it was a great model. It did really well. If anyone knows the story of Curves, it had an epic failure, just a complete crash and burn, you know, Icarus too close to the sun type of stuff. And then comes cro- the CrossFit and the crash of 2008. And everyone's like, man, why CrossFit pop? You got to give credit to the economic crash of 2008 because these CrossFits would have never survived. We would have never popped as big as we did if warehouse space not becomes so abundantly available. But after 2008, a landlord would give literally a gym. Some guy's like, hey, I'm going to start this gym. I need tall ceilings to hang my ropes. I don't need any AC. And they're like, yeah, (laughs) I'll give you a year free if you sign a five-year lease. Like I am so underwater this thing. So like all these gyms, we all started in flex industrial space asset class wise, because we just come off 08. And then now we've sophisticated now retail is way more, you know, it's, it all comes full circle. Um, But yeah, I was always been a student of the industry and that's led me to guys like knowing who a Kelly start was. He had a big impact in the CrossFit space, but I mean, just even in the, uh, uh, you know, um, when I think of guys that really influenced me, I think of guys like Mark Ripito. I think of Louis Simmons. I think of guys that were like not necessarily micro gym, you know, elements, right? But they yeah. were strength conditioning coach type elements. And it's been really, um, that was just always my thing is just be a student of it, learn it. That's why I spend so much time traveling. Like, yeah. like oh, you get paid. To, like I was out and seen a bunch of gyms like two months ago. And they're like, oh, those clients are something. No, they're like, they pay you to come on out and consult. I'm like, no. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I want to see the model. I heard about it. I heard they can get 41 people in an 1800 square foot spot and they're not doing this and that they're doing a 32% margin. I'm curious. I want to go see it for myself. Yeah. I'll, I'll fly out and see a unit. Like I was in uh, Alchemy 365 is an incredible brand out of Minneapolis. And I uh, interviewed the CEO on my podcast. And I said, I'm, a, I'm fascinated by this. I've only seen it digitally. Can I come out? So I flew out for 24 hours. He picked me up from the airport. He he had the most abundant mindset ever, shared every number of every studio, every dollar, anything I asked, he told me. And I, I was just like, I'm going to continue to do this. I'm going to travel, ask people if I can come and just be their shadow for the day or stop around their studios and see it. And I've continued, that's what I've always continuously been able to do. And I think being a company of one like me gives me the mobility to do so, whereas some of my, my constituents and my co- colleagues or competitors, however you want to look at them, they can't uh, maybe necessarily get away and spend as much time in the industry, messing around with all these different ends. Like I was in DC, yeah. I spent so much time at a, at a Vita Fitness, which is like a Globo Gym Club that I think has got such a great hold on interior design and vibe and flavor way more than like what a gold gym does, which is just so painfully, like you can tell it just hasn't been upgraded in 25 <laughs> years. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, that's, I'm just continuing to be a student of the industry is something I'll always, I think, continue to do. And so really it's your curiosity that makes you ask the questions and then you kind of find these, these things that you're really curious about. You find the people, you utilize your platform you literally go there because who doesn't want to say yes to being on a podcast or hanging out with you for an afternoon, right? People are a lot of times business owners. I mean, we're ego people, right? Like we want to talk about our business. We want want everybody to know about it. And so why not take that opportunity? So that's, that's very smart. What you, what you've been able to do with that. Yeah. and, And, you know, the main thing is too, is, uh, 
everyone looks so like Orange Theory hit and every CrossFit gym is like, all right, well, I'm going to get heart rate monitors. I might go buy a couple of treads sure. and maybe some yeah. of these bubble rowers, maybe that'll help my, you know, my sales. And it's like, when you look at just one thing that you think is interesting and you steal that, that's generally never going to work. You're just going to be the cheaper version of that. I have one of my favorite lines is good artists borrow, great artists steal. I'm all about stealing, but I steal it in like a Frankenstein model. I'm going to go and see that model and this model and this model and this model and this. I'm going to extract just a little bit that I love from all of them. And when I bring all those ingredients back to my kitchen and I cook it up, I've got a unique recipe now. Yeah. I didn't just steal the one place. I stole from 10 different sources. And now I can kind of manifest that into this Frankenstein that doesn't look anything like all, any of those. It looks truly unique. It was just so funny. I listened to one of your podcasts and I went home and talked to Amanda. I'm like, I am so fired up. I listen to Sue's podcast. I want to run through a brick wall and open up a fucking gym here. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> uh, I was listening to about one of the models and I'm like, okay, maybe not yet, but we'll, we'll invest in another one someday. And just kind of yeah. hearing the passion behind it is like, oh man. Bodybuilding had a, had a downturn, a significant downturn for a long time. Gymshark, Marcus Philly's functional bodybuilding. I mean, there's a lot of elements that kind of brought it back, but I mean, I mean, I grew up on Coleman and Jay Cutler, right? Like that, yeah. those were my guys, but after them, it had a down, like, no, they just didn't have the mass popularity anymore and bodybuilding lost to functional fitness. Well, everything in fitness comes full circle. Like I tell everyone that just wait, if you miss your thing in fitness, like, man, I wish that was cool. Again, I'm like, just chill, just hang out for a little bit. I promise you, it will come back around. Uh, you know, we we're talking about the arsenal strength equipment stuff. I see uh, the open gym model, so a Globo gym, a health club model. I see that being one of the next things I would invest in, in, in uh, specifically a couple different brands in the United States I've seen, but boutique-sized, not the 60,000-square-foot floor prints yeah. that me and my 15 investors are never going to make our money back on, but like right. 6,000, 7,000, 8,000-square-foot footprints, high-quality, good equipment, probably a good scheme of like... 60, 40 arsenal to, you know, uh, free weight, rogue squat racks and shit like that. Uh, and sleds and turf and what Ben Patrick's done for like sled work again and all that, like the things that are, you know, that work really well, but they are currently back in vogue. And I think they will have a good five to seven year window. And then I think it'll maybe a decade. It'll go back out of vogue again. It, it, it just rinse and repeats. This is how this will always work. Got it. Yeah. Very cyclical for sure. Hmm. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that with um, with even with competing over the years, I feel like some of the less muscular divisions have helped kind of bring bodybuilding back to yeah. be a little bit more intriguing because anybody walking around can do it now, right? And that's yeah, you got to look. Yeah, look at like CrossFit. Like I, I used to tell people all the time, be like, I've been doing CrossFit for seven years, but I don't really look the way I want. I'm like, let's take if you would take nutrition off the table, right? Which you know was so much of it, but if, let's just take that off the table unfortunately, like you want better, bigger, stronger biceps rope climbs from a biometric perspective, right? Mm -hmm. From a kinesthetic perspective is not the best exercise you should be doing. If you really want a peak in your bicep, yeah. like some of the stuff we do in functional fitness will make us really fit. But from an aesthetics perspective, there yeah. is an overload principle. There is a rep rate. There's some, there's some numbers that live within building for hyper working out for hypertrophy Yeah, that you know, it's like functional. being a marathon runner and wanting to grow your glutes. hundred percent. And that's so funny. I saw, so I'm, uh, I just entered the lottery for the Chicago marathon. Um, oh, yeah. I'm nice. seeing if I, 
Yeah. So I, my style of training, this like tempo training that I do is yeah. uh, real long aerobic efforts, high time under tension, that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm going to experiment over the next year. Uh, it's in October of 2023. Okay. I was going to ask, when is it, what is yeah. your, what is your modality of training going to be for that? It'll be this tempo training. So I oh, started, it yeah, okay. I started a, like an online blog on Instagram just called respect the tempo, the group oh, fitness. Yeah. The group fitness that. model I created was called uh, urban movement. And our group model was what we called tempo training. I took what everyone was doing and hit fast and quick and sloppy and all that. And I went the opposite direction. I am such a huge fan of, like I mentioned earlier, strength uh, coaches like Ian King, who talk about tempo that believe every rep should take a minimum of four seconds, minimum of four seconds. And based on what kind of adaptation you want, you change the tempos accordingly. So I do that, but my workouts are extreme, insanely long because obviously the, the longer a rep yeah. takes, the more, and yeah. I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm like, I always responded well to GVT and German volume training type protocols. Like I'm a high volume guy and I do, my body responds incredibly well, um, hypertrophy wise to that, but yeah. you start checking it out beyond just the musculature. And I start looking at my heart rate. I'm like, holy shit. I, that workout was 132 minutes long. And my heart rate maintained a 145 to 152. That's so you're a lo- in that zone two training Dude, just naturally I'm, through your I'm aerobic cycles. the entire time. Right. I am just at this base of aerobic. And now I'm going to go train for this marathon. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not the guy. I'm not going to go hit the pavement four days a week at 20 right. plus miles. That's not me. But I'm going to see, can I create this kind of hybrid training program and mess around mm-hmm. with this and just kind of document, so interesting. document the process? Yeah. Love it. Huh. Have you, have you gone for like a long run just to feel what that's like yet? So my girlfriend's a big enduro, right? Uh-huh. She's going to hit a 35 mile trail race in like three weeks. This is uh-huh. something she'll get up and do tomorrow. Like when she just, well, I think I'm going to run 20 miles a day. Not me, but uh-huh. I'm doing a 5k at the Charlotte marathon here in three weeks. Then she's got me ready for a 10k, a uh, couple, like about a quarter later, the next quarter I'll do a half. And then I'll end in October of 2023 at Chicago marathon. But okay. I ran, I, I did 800, you know, I, you know, I'm a sprint guy. I'll go do 800 meter repeats and hill sprints. Like that's what I like, but I've been run the longest I've run now is seven and a half miles nonstop. And I literally thought I ran a marathon. I like came back all cocky. I'm like, I ran seven and a half miles. I'm like talking to my girl about it. And she's just like laughing. She's like, that's warm up, homie. Like you don't like, <laughs> <laughs> you got to only do that three more times, you know, three more, 3.2 more times. And yeah, that's a marathon. I'm like, oh shit, this is going to suck. That's amazing. I, I'm going to watch that. Respect the tempo of sweet. So one thing I wanted to kind of get, because obviously we have a lot of health and fitness professionals that follow us. And so I really want to kind of get on the business side of things for them. What are some of the biggest problems that you see from business owners in this space overall? I know you do a lot of your 10 minute giveaway talks, which I think is such a cool thing that you do. And then you literally put it out there for people to yeah. listen to, which is amazing. U- yeah. UGC, user generated content. It's uh, yeah, yeah that's 100%. So cool. That's so cool. The biggest thing is um, very few people went to school to open up a gym or an online training company. Mm-hmm. It's something we fell into yep. generally because of passion. Passion is great, but just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean you should try to monetize it and make a business or a job out of it. I am very passionate about whiskey. I am not opening up a distillery <laughs> anytime soon. So generally, I tell people when they get started, and if, if they talk a lot about passion in the beginning, I'm like, 
that's fine. You need someone to set your course correct. You need a course correct a little because if you go in with this mindset of passion, I promise you you're going to make bad business decisions by default. So you need to walk into this thing very practical. If you walk into it romantic, you know, like when you first meet someone and you fall in love and the first six months is like they could do nothing wrong. Like we can't be there and start a business. It's a bad foundation to start with. Sure. And then it's getting them to break the romantic nature. So for example, let's say I have someone who's like, I attended, um, oh, I attended a CrossFit gym for six years. I lost a ton of weight. I then became a coach part-time. And then I got so sick and tired of corporate America. I'd saved a bunch of money. I went and opened up my own gym, right? That's, that's a very common story. That's a very common story, yeah. They're going to traditionally be romantic about the way it was when they were a customer and a coach and carry that over to the business. You should only start a business for one reason. There's a problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, well, talk to me about the other gym. What was the problem there? Well, they did this, 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 and this wrong. Cool. All right. Let's not bring that over to your other one. That's fine. What is the other problem you're going to solve? What are you going to do that's unique in the market? Or are you just going to be another one of them that doesn't do this, 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 and this, the three or four things you listed to me that they didn't do well, that the, that doesn't really even impact the rest of the customer experience or your bottom line. It's just something you notice as a nuance as a customer and an employee there. And they generally can't answer that. Like what is going to be your USP, unique sales proposition, or what I call for the, all the fitness people listening, your UBF, your unique belief in fitness. You have to have a unique belief in fitness. And all that means is I don't think you need to come up with a new program, something yeah. that no one's ever done. All the ingredients are the same. It's the recipes that are unique. Yeah. Right? Like nobody owns bodybuilding. That's a genre. Right. It's a genre. Nobody owns functional fitness. It's a genre. CrossFit was just a unique recipe of functional fitness. Functional bodybuilding, Mark's Philly, is a unique recipe on bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. So we're all working with the same ingredients. What kind of recipe? That kind of goes back to my stealing conversation earlier. It's like steal from a bunch of different things. What can you find? Yeah. Like right now, I don't know if anyone's up followed like Landmine University. There's a gentleman who's been traveling the world and, and teaching athletic sports performance and speed and power training via the landmine. And he, I mean, dude, he, if you look him up, landmine university, the routines that they do with just the landmine are stupid athletic looking like they're coordinated and they're exploding to punch. I mean, like it's an entire routine there. I mean, it's very choreographed as well, but you get done with them. Like, holy shit, that was about a 22 second routine that looked exhausting. <laughs> absolutely exhausting that's a unique belief in fitness is the landmine new no it's been around for a long time have you and, seen the bike exercise dance thing where they're like no. flipping their legs over the bike thing and there's like mm. crazy music going i mean it's in i'm gonna have to find it and look at you, have you seen pound thing. pound with the drumsticks I, I used to teach pound <laughs> okay so let's talk about pound i i've got fitness guys that like pound like man like you know that's a joke no dude have you it's ever hard. been a, have you ever been a drummer Go look at Taylor Hawkins, RIP from Foo Fighters, right? Yeah. Go yeah. look at that. If I hook, they're always up, like chiseled six packs and they're chiseled. That is probably some of the drugs, some of that too. <laughs> but, um, but honestly, go put a, a polar heart rate monitor on him and have him go ahead and play Everlong for fucking seven minutes and yeah. watch his cardiovascular health. Like you're like, dude, that guy rides a 168 beats per minute for seven minutes straight. And then he could go right into the next tune. Yeah. They so pound is a unique belief in fitness on something that's not actually unique. Just like, funny. All like pound was my gateway drug into the industry. Was it really? That's so yeah. cool. People yeah. joke on it and clown that's on it. I'm, like people would clown on Zumba. I'm like, 
first off, Zumba, do you know how big of a company Zumba is? Yeah. You're lucky if you can even hard. lick. Yeah. If you could lick Zumba's boots one day, you'd be lucky from a company <laughs> perspective. Um, but again, that's dance. Yeah. But it was, again, it was, it was, if you know his story, like, again, he took like the Latin flavor that he had experienced with his mom. He would dance around his mom in the living room and he combined that with a little bit of this and that. And like, he created a, a unique style of choreographed cardio dance. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's ultimately what I, the first thing is guys, when you get into fitness, I get it. Your passion. That's cool. That's going to make it easy to show up when you don't want to, but it's not going to make you profitable. You have got to think of what problem am I solving? Okay. I'm solving a problem. And is it, but am I solving it in a unique way? Or am I literally solving it like the other seven guys down the street, right? Like I do group fitness. Like here's an analogy. This would be a great exercise for all your people. Imagine um, you and all your competitors in the fitness industry got brought into a stadium and you were sitting there at the 50 yard line and you had one mic and inside the stadium and the, in all the seats are the entire market of potential customers. And every single one of you get to walk up to the microphone and you get to go and say, this is what my business does. You get one shot to tell them what it is your business does that's so unique and special. And what you're going to watch is a bunch of gyms go up there and be like, we, um, we have awesome coaching community and programming. And then other ones will be like, we are the premier fitness facility and our workouts are science driven. And everyone's going to sound like wah, wah, wah. It's right. not going to hit. When I opened up Urban Movement, I, I had a very successful CrossFit gym. But I always had a chip on my shoulder. I'm like, damn, did I really do well? Or did I just have the word CrossFit attached to my gym at the right place at the right time in 2012? I had this huge chip on my shoulder. I'm like, I didn't actually, I wasn't that successful. I just got lucky. So I de-affiliated. I broke it. I took CrossFit out. I installed a brand new operating system, Tempo Training, thought up of an entire unique belief for this. And I bought this building and I designed it as to be a co-working space with fitness. And our thing was, if I got to go up there, grab that mic in the stadium, be like, We've created an awesome place to work out and get work done. And we had people come and they'd work in our lounge, take Zoom calls, go work out, take a shower, have a meeting, get a beer. Like I had created this really cool place, a third place, very, you know, a la Starbucks, if you will. But that was kind of my, my unique thing is, oh, what's Urban Movement? It's an awesome place to work out and get work done. That sounded different than every single one of my competition. Because yep. all my competition could talk about was the, the community or the programming or the style of workout they had. It all kind of sounded the same. So I went out into left field and came up with something different. But that's for everyone listening. That's like an exercise you need to go through. You had to stand up and say it. You only get one sentence. Brevity is key. And gym o- and business owners are horrible at brevity. You know, yeah. what do you do in seven words or less? What do you do in one sentence? Um, if you can't really dial it down to something that truly sounds unique, you probably won't be. And you're going to have to work very, very, very hard at all that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. And Sean, I think that kind of leads into some of the things that you wanted to talk about as far as, you know, passion is going to help you with your why, right? When things are hard, but it's not going to make you profitable. Let's kind of, I guess, move into more of the questions that you had regarding business and profits and yeah, when you were talking about urban uh, movement and your gym and facility, kind of wanted you to like go down the real estate route and the biz that you've created and kind of how you landed there. Cause I think it's a really unique story and it kind of aligns with us really well on, you know, creating wealth and sure yeah. and, and building this. So I'd like to hear that kind of story. So I've always been, um, if I have one superpower in the world, it's my ability to be in the moment I'm in and zoom out and see kind of a bigger landscape. 
So I'm killing it with CrossFit South End. That was my gym in like 2013, 14. Making, and again, just for, in full transparency, the most I ever made across the South End, we consistently would do $500,000 a year, right? Did about a 26% margin, which is pretty good for a brick and mortar gym. So these aren't like crazy like numbers, but I, I'd, I'd rather be consistently good than occasionally great type of a mantra. Yeah. And that was my thing. And I'm like, this is not going to last forever, right? Everyone gets retired. You either retire or it retires you in your industry. I don't care if you play sports or business, whatever it is. So while I'm doing well and I have borrowing power, I need to purchase something I can't afford that's going to be an asset for me long-term, aka a building, right? That's that's the logical conclusion. Do a little bit of research, kids. You land on an SBA 704 or SBA 504 or the 7A um, loan products researched them, became an absolute student of commercial real estate, which kind of led to me building the gym real estate company. But I mean, I would literally uh, watch the pre-recorded meetings of city rezoning meetings and people would walk up. It's, it's super, it's like horrible footage. Like it's, right, right. <laughs> and it's like, LLC wants to rezone to this. And I'd look up the LLCs and I'd figure out what other th- projects they own in the company. But, oh, that's an apartment complex. Oh, man, that one's a giant plaza in a retail. So I was trying to figure out what areas of Charlotte were getting gentrified. Because if you get into commercial real estate, you realize a lot of these rezoning petitions happen several years before it ever hits the papers that, oh, a brand new 600-unit apartment complex is coming, right? So I knew there were areas in Charlotte that weren't great, but I knew that they were going to be, but I, I didn't know who or what area or who was going to be the people to make it great. So that allowed me to start researching what area am I looking to buy in? And that led to me purchasing a building um, in an area that wasn't great. Like you would go there for, um, well, crack. And, uh, and if you ran out of crack, you'd go back, right? Like that was kind of what you went there for. Now, breweries, like really nice, like quick trip gas stations, apartments, condos, townhomes, you know, uh, all kinds. It's, it's a spot. It's, it's a destination, but I got lucky. I, I got there early. Um, me and my business partner uh, who recently passed away, we went ahead. He was just a client of mine. He had done a bunch of residential. I had never done anything. I didn't even own a home at this point, but I could do some, I had money saved up and he had money and we both looked at each other and go, well, I need the small business owner guy to get the, the SBA 504 loan because they don't give it to investors. And I'm like, and I need half of his money. So, uh, you know, we went ahead and we both went in 50-50, bought this building, just two idiots having no idea, kind of figuring it out. And, um, but yeah, I, you know, my kettlebells, my dumbbells, those, the, the equipment's going to last for a long time, but it doesn't have a lot of value. Gyms, even with memberships, I don't care if you have year contracts, they have very low valuation um, potential. Whenever I involved in the valuation of a business, like, oh, we have uh, 4,000 members on 12-month contracts, and it's valued at this. Yeah, I mean, but I got to factor the fact that you have a collections agency that's collecting 30%, and on any given month, 19% of your members are uh, delinquent. But, like, it's so hard to value a gym business unless you own the real estate. And the biggest brands that they're Lifetime Fitness – Urban Active, aka LA Fitness now, some of the Gold's gyms, they purchase their real estate. They are a real estate company that happens to install fitness as their tenants. And that's kind of what I looked at me. I was like, all right, I'm going to be a real estate guy now. So every decision I made was real estate forward. Like I didn't make great gym decisions, but they worked out really well for the long-term real estate. I bought a building that was 10,500 square feet. 
My gym model, 3,500 square feet. The hell do I need all that square footage for? Because I wasn't thinking about it being in for a gym. I thought about it being for a brewery. So we built it out and mimicked a brewery in Charlotte. It was a great brewery. It's called the Unknown Brewery. You walked in, it had like this amount of like three and a half thousand square feet built out. And then the back was all wide open for the, all the things that they make beer with. That's I literally to the, to the square foot mimicked their model. Because in my head, I'm like, this is what this is going to be. Charlotte's a big brewery city. I mean, even in 10 years, I think it's still going to be big. And guess what? Within three weeks, I'll be going to the grand opening of a, of a brewery in my, my building that replaced my gym and is on a 10-year lease. They just put like $1.5 million into my building. And um, I, you know, I collect mailbox money now as a landlord, and I still own the asset. So at yeah. some point here in the future, I can cash in on that. Um, but no, that's the real estate thing is this. Guys, listen, you're not going to retire on a gym. I bet you even if me and Sean were sitting here, we're talking wealth management, coming up with the ability to put away enough money for retirement on your gym alone is doable, but you have to be very strict. You got to start very early. And unfortunately, those are two things entrepreneurs in the small business world are not great at being diligent and and being proactive. We're generally retroactive. Oh my God, I'm 47. What am I going to do? Like, and now they're showing up at Sean's door and Sean's like, oh shit, I wish you, wish we could have talked 10 years ago. Right. Now, yeah, you're, again, it, when you're 22 yeah. are different than when yeah, you're it's, it's it's still doable. It's yeah. still doable, but it's it, it's different. But I always figure like, hey, if you have a profitable gym, here's one thing. You can get a bank to give you money to purchase a hard asset. But right now, post-COVID, this is a funny story. I got a gym in California. He needed $250,000 for an expansion on his gym that I was not for, but he wanted to do an expansion. Goes to the bank. Bank says, absolutely not. You kidding me? Giving you money after COVID? Not a chance simultaneously, he goes to get his second PhD um, uh, from Cal. And he's able to get his student loan, 300000 He also got approved for $1.15 million loan to purchase a building. So the bank is willing to give him money for the building. They're willing to give him money to go to the school because they know he's got to pay that shit back. But they would not give him the smallest amount of money, the $200,000 to expand his gym with flooring and equipment and lights and things that the bank knows that there's no value in whatsoever. So guys, while you're profitable, look to purchase a building. It's your fastest route to wealth, fastest route to retirement. It gives you options. And that you know that's ultimately why last year, um, I went and got my broker's license and I started the gym real estate company. Now we all over the country, we help gym owners lease and buy buildings. Yeah. No, we're, we're huge fans of real estate and being part of the portfolio here because I feel like our generation is going to be different than like our parents' generation. So they had the small mom and pop shops. Yeah. Right. And then they retired and they retired comfortably, but they did not retire from the business inside the building they retired because they bought the building um who knows let's say two hundred fifty thousand dollars, owned it for 20 30 years and sold it for a million and they're retired off the million dollars that they got from the building not the business inside it so you hit the nail on top of the head of in our opinion if you're going to be in the business and you're going to have the brick and mortar you sure help better own the building yeah because you don't just own the gym own the building because you have the opera the rare opportunity and i tell people like your business could ebb and flow. So I had a group, this before I'd opened the gym real estate company. It was in 2018. I closed on my building in 2016 and I had a buddy that he had a good business. And I was like, dude, do what I did. Do what I did. He's like, eh, I'm thinking about it. I might want to buy a home. I'm like, have you ever met someone who's like, hey, how'd you make all your money? Like I bought a house and sold it. Like, no, you've never met that guy ever, right? Like 
do it. He didn't. And then 2020 happened. And now his profit goes down. And, and when you go to get a loan, the banks are looking for debt service coverage, generally for purchasing on an SBA 54, they want a, um, a 1.2. So every $100,000 you borrow, you need to be able to show that you can generate 120. Yep. Okay. And his ability to service that debt, gone. And now he can't buy a building. So while you're profitable, like again, that does just get, yeah. just because you get the profitability, everyone's like, I've made it. Bro, no, you're holding on. Yeah, yeah. It's you don't, you're not guaranteed to stay there. You could right. fall. Yes. So seize the opportunity when you can. Yeah, we talk about that a lot about getting lending or securing your lending before you need to. Yeah. yeah. You know, we can't predict the future on that. So like take care of it while you can. And and people I think miss this part. And you I like I love that you touched base that the value of the gym inside, you know, it's hard to say what the value is gonna be, but the multiple is not probably going to be very big. Correct. And, and small business gyms by like people be like, well, I heard snap fitness is sell at a, a seven multiple, like a seven X. I'm like, yeah, show me the owner at the snap fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think it's like a group of doctors. Yeah. Guess what? They're not tied to the business. Small business owner, gym owners are so intimately tied to the business that their removal instantly decreases the brand's value, the business's value. Right. And and since like I, I'll do a lot of AMs, some acquisition of mergers, and we go in the gym that I've got a client, he's looking to purchase this other gym. That gym owner is like, well, I want X dollars. And when we do an audit, and I'm like, well, how many hours a week are you working in the business? And he kind of fills it out. I'm like, well, that's 32 hours a week that you're working in the business. He's like, yep. I'm like, my my client's not looking to buy a job. Right. He's looking to buy a business. So now I've got to factor in a 65000 dollars salary to do the work you were doing i need 65 yeah. grand off the top of that number and then yeah. just like do what you know and but for some reason that eludes them that is like it's like they're like uh, uh, what that's not the same like yes man that's how this works so small business gyms it is much harder like when someone's like i own a small business gym and i'm gonna sell I'm like you you better you better have something unique i looked at what uh, it just happened this past weekend the fitting room Fitting Room is a really successful boutique brand in New York City. They survived the pandemic. They have a great UBF. They, it's New York City. You're not opening, opening a second location without taking on a bunch of investors is tough. But this one woman opened it up and guess what? New York City Sports Club, who got kicked in the nuts during COVID and has been trying to replicate the boutique thing, bought the company they're keeping her on as the uh the c uh the cbo like chief brand officer whatever the company she still gets to be involved in her baby but now she gets a great chunk of cash she's still going to make a residual annually and now she gets to install this in some couple different you know big health clubs and i i just believe there's a lot of different exits for micro gym owners than what we believe is um reasonable but i think a lot of the global gyms who have all tried to replicate i mean you guys have probably seen like Gold's gym making X fit and like trying to like make all these rip off and it hasn't worked. It just, yeah. it's completely shit to bed. I think really good micro gyms with a UBF don't need to replicate. They don't have to open up corporate stores. They don't have to franchise don't have the license. I think you have a good opportunity to leverage your brand to others. That's so urban movement had a license model right before I sunned everything down. I got my offer. I put out that we opened the license model. We have 40 applications and we're working on a 12 unit license deal with a Globo gym company on the East coast. They had uh, 12 locations across two markets, PA and Virginia. And uh, we're going to start one in each market, see how it went. 
But that was in my head, like, that's how I'm going to expand this thing. I'm not opening up more clubs. I'm not opening up more doors. Right. That's nope. That, that day's over. I came up with the business model and the brand and the cool and the hip and the, the class and the structure and all this other yeah. stuff. Let someone else with the money who wants my thing pay me. And um, I love that because otherwise you're just going to be, you know, grinding it out. Yeah. You, yeah. You got to look at doing it all yourself. You're like, okay, I need to build a second location. I need a proof of concept. Everyone's like, I gotta have my second location before anyone's gonna give me money. I, that, that is definitely, I, I would recommend you have a second location to test the stress test it. Sure. Um, but it, I think this fitting room case is going to become more popular over time. If it's successful, I think people are going to look at it as a, a precedent and you're going to see some of the bigger brands being like, man, you know, that one gym that's got, you know, a location or three locations in a, in Cleveland, Ohio, and they're killer and like it, it, nothing else is like it, let's pick them up, right? Like I, I do think we might see some more of that um, for some micro gym owners who have really put in the hard work and creating a unique brand. Got it. Um, one, one of the last questions I had for you is, and I get this question a lot, um, what's your opinion on this rapid appreciation of the real estate? And then along with the increased interest rates, you see any kind of impact or if yeah. any, or what's your thoughts on that environment? So, so I get, I get asked this a lot. Um, I start the conversation with, let's just, let's make sure one thing. Every year your building will drop in value. The dirt will always go up in value. Dirt is always going to appreciate, right? So like it's getting an owner, honestly, to like break their connection with their value, with the building wealth, like the building value versus the dirt value. I'm like, trust mm. me, there might be a Panera that sees way more value in the, in the dirt underneath this building than what you think. Yeah. Um, real estate has obviously appreciated at a whoop kind of scenario. Even during COVID, like, especially I can talk about Charlotte, which was, I'd consider a tier two city, but it is not uncommon for new construction to be 40 to $43 a square foot, which is, that's bottom New York city pricing. Like that's bottom bucket, New York city pricing that, but like it, the numbers don't necessarily make sense. Will the bottom drop out? Is there going to be a correction? There's always a correction. Like it's like the stock market. It's like, eh, and then there's a correction and then it's up like this, but historically, on a long playing time, it, there's always appreciation. Interest rates. So I refied on my building uh, when I got this new tenant. They needed, a, I said they put in $1.5 million of upfit. Well, we, my business partner and I went ahead and we refied and we pulled out $345,000 to give them an upfit money, all right, towards their 1.5. Well, no bank is giving me a, a refi scenario past a five-year balloon. Right. Cause they're, you know, because of the interest rates and wherever it is. So, like, you know, I'm in that position too where I'm like, man, I really hope shit calms down here with these interest rates come balloon time in five years. Right. Um, but no, I, me personally, I think that as long as, as long as you have a real, if you can show me a, a business case for your real estate beyond your use of it, like me, I, I knew the average square footage of the average. We had 26 breweries in Charlotte when I created my Excel sheet. I knew the average square footage, 10,000 square feet. Got it. My building being 10,005. I looked at all the numbers of like brewery growth and like, cause that's what I was kind of putting all my eggs in one basket. But if it didn't become a brewery, I had other options. We had a church look at it. I'll say one thing about church. I don't really go, but Jesus saves, but Jesus pays, right? Those guys would they literally write a blank. You can write a blank check to uh, to have your building if it's in the right spot. We just didn't have enough parking. It's the big problem. Um, but no, I'm still bullish on it. Interest rates aren't great. They get better. You can refi. 
-hmm. right? Like I, I'm still like sit at the table. If you have the opportunity to sit at the table, sit at that table because 0.0001% mm-hmm. of small business gym owners own their building. Got it. Sit at the wow. table. And if things financially get a little, yeah, it's not as good and this, that, I'm like, bro, you're still at the table. Yeah. You know, like, and again, it's because the window of opportunity to be at the table is so small. So if you're like, hey, man, I don't want to do 8% interest rates right now. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You could hold out. And let's say maybe they drop back down into the fives at some point or back into the fours or wherever we might go from here. But is your business still have as much borrowing power at that point? Are you still in it? Like you got a great GM, huh? Ask every gym owner. They're literally one to two full-time employees away from having to be right back in the business themselves 24-7. So when you've got that moment of time, like I got a GM, I'm not in there all the time. I've got an assistant GM. Sales are good. Business is good. The numbers are good. The bank will approve it. Then go, 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 go. Think less, do more. Yeah, because what we're doing this for is long-term. Yes. We're not doing this for short-term. Yeah, it's like, oh, the interest rates. I'm like, yeah, there's going to be periods of time where the interest rate's high. Like, I'm going to probably realistically own that building for a minimum of 20 years. I've already owned it since 2016. Minimum of 20. I'm going to see my ups and downs in in whatever and however the cycles go. Um, But you're sitting at a table, though. So even if the table gets a little rocky, it's it's okay. You're still there. You still like, you know, Sean and I had a call before this. I was like, that's kind of like, you know, my wealth management plan is is maybe a little bit different than another one of his clients because I have this Christmas present. It's got a bow wrapped on it that I'll be able to do something with one day. And it maybe it doesn't put as much pressure on me to have to take more of my income and throw it into a savings plan because I, you know, I don't have to be as aggressive because I have this, this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be cyclical. And if you're looking at the short term, you know, Stu and I, like we can, we can talk about it all day, but we're never going to be able to like predict the high or the low, no. right? Like to sit at the table, like you said, I love that analogy. And if this is a long-term play, I would, you know, I think it's good as time as any, but will it go down in two years? It could. Oh, absolutely. Of course it'll go down in two years. And I, you know, the thing is I look at now, um, you can only have one SBA loan at a time, which is the other reason I wanted the refi. I let the bank buy out the SBA's portion during wow. my refi. So now I have an, I've got free credit. It's kind of like a VA loan, right? You can only have one VA loan at a time. Um, so now I have free credit. I have to open another SBA 5-4, but it's why I never sold Urban Movement. I never sold it. People are like, oh, did you sell it? I'm like, no, 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 no. I kept all the IP. I kept everything. If I see a building I really like and the SBA is going to require me to have my small business operating in there, I can... Mm-hmm. I can stand up an urban movement in there in a heartbeat, get my loan, do my thing, whatever the heck it may be. Um, so, but yeah, that's, it's just, it's such an awesome opportunity. I'll, I will say as much hate as I love to give the government, I, I was, the SBA program took extremely good care of all its at 504 um, customers during COVID and took incredible care of us. I did not have to make a single mortgage payment for six months on the SBA side. I had to make the bank side but not the SBAs with through is what they call a CDC, a certified development company. And the way that works is 50% the bank does, 40% the CDC does, 10% is what I had to put in. Well, during COVID for six months, and it didn't even get tacked on, just completely forgiven six months worth of 40% of my mortgage. I mean, incredible. Like, I just like, like, I, like, I remember that happened. I got like tears in my eyes, like, holy shit, the government just hooked me. Oh, like, this is so, like, I was so grateful. So guys, if you're listening, yeah, just like Sean saying, don't overthink it because the one thing like it's um it's not worth overthinking like you're not going to be able to predict this all but one thing you'll do know is like just having the building i promise you you have far more options 
than if you don't own the building. You know, you being a student of not only the industry, but just as, as being an entrepreneur, you know, I mean, look, you've obviously done your homework on, on learning the rules and regulations. And like you said, sitting through some zoning meetings and things like that. Um, um, but like we talked earlier about being a student of, of the, the sport of um, strength and conditioning and learning who all these influencers in the space were, who the original um, leaders were, but now also kind of turning almost that that student attitude to just being an entrepreneur and being smart with your, uh, with your future and your, your finances. So applaud you for that. For I sure. appreciate it. Yeah. And it's the good news is guys, is I'm nothing spent like if anyone can do it. It just, it just takes a little bit grease and time and patience and it's going to be, you know, the willing to, again, go back to what Sean says to play the long-term game. That's it. Yeah. You know, be consistently good over occasionally great. Yep. Yep. Which isn't always the sexy answer, but no, (laughs) it's not. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the right answer though. It is the, it is the, it, what it's what works answer. Yep. Absolutely. Well, on that note, we will go ahead and finish up this podcast and we really appreciate you being on today. Oh, absolutely guys. Thank you so much for having me. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss a beat. We'd love it if you'd share this podcast, your Instagram story, Facebook page, or any of your other social media platforms so that we can help other health and fitness entrepreneurs out there succeed in business. We so appreciate you listening in. And until next time, keep your goals high, but keep each step attainable.